I just heard that the average person spends $1,300 to go to a Beyonce concert for tickets and transportation and merchandise and stuff. Got me thinking about the fact that there's a sense in which uh, Jesus was sort of a first century celebrity, wasn't he? You know, he had followers that were sort of Jesus groupies. People would travel long distances to see him or hear him talk or maybe witness some of the miracles he did. One of the places that it gives a teaching of Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, it really doesn't take place on a mountain, but kind of at the northeast end of the Sea of Galilee. I, I have been to the place. It's a beautiful sort of sloping hill coming down to the, the Sea of Galilee. And I would guess that people had come from long distances. I, I don't know how they knew Jesus would be there, but people walking maybe hours from Nazareth or Capernaum to come and together around Jesus and to, and to hear what he had to say. And uh, I, I can't prove it, but I have, I have the feeling that it was less a sermon kind of thing, like we call the Sermon on the Mount, but more of a, of a, a give and take between Jesus and the people who were there that they, they asked questions of Jesus, and Jesus responded and answered their questions. I can just sort of imagine somebody saying, you know, you know why, do, why do the rich people get all the breaks? You know, what about us poor people? And Jesus responding and saying, well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, or maybe somebody saying... I don't know, religion, it seems to me like religious people are such hypocrites. And Jesus responding by saying, well, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the street corners when they pray so that they can be heard by men. Or maybe somebody sort of lamenting the fact that they, they just, they're really worried because they don't have enough money maybe to buy food for their family. And Jesus graciously responding, saying, well, don't be anxious about your life, saying what you, sh what you should eat or what you should drink or, or what you should wear. I mean, isn't life more than food, the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. I mean, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So I tell you, don't be anxious, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be yours as well. 
If you've been around it all this summer, you know we're in a teaching series called uh, Questions Jesus Asked. And in this paragraph from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus really asked four questions, but they are rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's one where the, the answer is so obvious it doesn't even need to be answered. It's the kind of question that you, you ask your teenager to which they respond, well, duh. They're kind of duh questions. So what we're going to do for these next few minutes is kind of look at this section of Jesus' teaching about the issue of worry and anxiety. I mean, I know people worry about a lot of things. There's a, a lump in your breast and it scares you so much you're afraid to even go to the doctor or... Your car's falling apart, and you certainly can't afford a new one. You're not even sure you can afford to, to get this one fixed. Your dad's getting old and senile, and you're, you're afraid he's not going to be able to live by himself very much longer. And so Jesus, I think, was helping those first century Christians and in turn helping us to deal with anxiety and worry. And he really lays out you know, sort of six principles about worry and anxiety. And that's what we're going to take a look at for these next few, few moments, these six truths to help us overcome worry. So here's the first one. Life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than food and clothing. Are any of you worriers? Or maybe I should ask, are any of you married to a worrier? A lot of things we worry about. I just actually read uh, a survey, and of course, if, it's, if you find it online, you know it's true. This was a survey uh, about things people worry about. You, you want to know the number one thing that people worry about? You want to guess? Finances. They worry about money. 36% said that they're worried about finances. 34% are anxious and worried about political instability. Especially if you live in Iowa, we're being bombarded by political ads all the time. 33% said they're worried about the pandemic. 29% global warming. And here's what, so you get down to some of these lower things. 7% of people said they're worried about electrical grid malfunction. I don't even know what that is. Should I be worried about it? Is something that ought to concern me? Or maybe here's my favorite, 4% said that they're anxious, they're worried about an asteroid impacting the earth. So now I lie in bed at night, <laughs> dreading the fact that an asteroid is maybe going to hit the earth. We're worriers, aren't we? It seems to be a part of our nature. And so Jesus is saying, you don't need to be worried about things like food and clothing. And he picks some very basic things that all of us tend to be concerned about. So this is in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 6, uh, in verse 25, he says, So therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you should eat or drink, or about your body, what you should wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? I think one of the things that maybe can help us to sort of honestly look at ourselves is if you look at yourself and you can tell the things that you're worried about, those are probably the things that are important to you in your life. I do not worry at all about how the Cubs are doing this season. 
I don't care. But the things I do care about, those are the things I tend to worry about. So Jesus picks a couple of very basic things, food and clothing. And he says, you don't need to be worried about those. Secondly, God's love reaches to the smallest things in our lives. Verses 20, starting with verse 26 in Matthew 6, he says, so look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? To which we respond, duh. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Here's, here's the issue for me. So if you, if you know me well, you know one of the things that helps me in my relationship with God is that I, I love reading about and studying about the universe, the cosmos. I, I just reading that in the, in the known universe, they're estimating that there are two trillion galaxies, two trillion galaxies of 400, 400 billion or 500 billion stars each, this huge creation of God. And one of the things that helps me is when I, when I think about God as the creator and controller of the universe, that, that touches me deeply. I want to be on my knees before this God who is such a great creator and so huge and so immense to have made all of this. But there's a flip side to that as well because sometimes when I'm thinking about God controlling two, two trillion galaxies, I think, so do, does he even know who I am? I mean, a God who is controlling the hundreds of billions of stars, does he... Does he care about me? Even bringing it down to, to planet Earth, you know, with 8 billion people, can I honestly believe that God knows and cares about me? And I think that's one of the things that Jesus is addressing here. He takes the most basic things, food and clothing. And I think he's saying, you know, if, if God cares about the birds of the air, cares about the flowers of the field... Can't you accept the fact that this big, great, eternal, all-powerful God also knows you and cares about you? So how does God care for, like, the birds of the air? Well, I've discovered that he does it primarily through my wife, Sally, who is this fanatic about feeding the birds. So we have all these bird feeders and she's constantly out there refilling them. Apparently, the birds have scouts out there watching for when Sally's out fiddling the bird feeder and then as soon as she's gone, she's barely back in the house, the birds flock to the bird feeders and they start eating this food. And so I have to go to Walmart a couple times a week to buy more cheap bird feed to feed the birds. And we took out a second mortgage on our home so we could <laughs> feed the birds. Okay, I'm getting kind of carried away on that. But the, the principle is there, right? God says, yeah, I, I care about the birds. I care about the flowers, the field. Can't you accept the fact that I care about you too? 
that both of these things are true. Yes, he is the God of creation, the God of the trillions of galaxies, who is also the God who knows and cares about you. So in verse 26, he says, so are you not much more valuable than they? When you look at the birds and the flowers, if you believe that God cares for them, can't you believe that you are more valuable to God than they are? And so in, in the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, here's what he said. He said, so don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Principle number three, God delights in giving good things. Takes me a while to grasp that. God delights in giving good things. So sometimes I fall into sort of the, the misunderstanding, the trap of thinking that God is a begrudging giver. He'll give it, but he's not going to be happy about it. So I get the feeling like I, I need to kind of manipulate God. Do you ever try to do that? So if there's something I need from God, I say, okay, I'm going to be... I'm going to be really good this week. I'm going to read the Bible three times a day, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be really careful about my life, and then maybe by next Saturday, I can ask God for what I want from him. Or maybe thinking, uh, maybe I can just wear him down if I just ask him. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to pray 10 times a day. I'm going to ask for God to do this thing for me until finally God says, all right, all right, Ed, all right, I'll give it to you. Just stop. You know? But Jesus says, you know, you know, God delights in giving good things to his children. That's part of what God wants to do, what God loves to do. Let me, um, so in... In the seventh chapter of this Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, it says this, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, listen to this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I, I have experienced that in my life. In fact, I had an event that I love to talk about because it really helped me to understand this principle that we're looking at right now. It involved my son, Dan. When Dan turned 16, he wanted a car. Duh. And uh, we said, no, you're not going to get a car. But when he turned 17, when he's getting close to 17, I really wanted to get Dan a car. So I had this young friend who was really into cars, and I said, could you help me find a, a car for Dan? So he said he would do that. I was in Chicago at a conference, and I got a call from this friend, and he said, hey, I think I found a car for Dan. And I said, well, great, what, what is it? And he said, well, it, it's a Camaro Z28. 
Now, I don't know much about cars, so I thought, wow, Z, Camaro Z28. I said, is this a, is something Dan would like? And the guy said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we got the car, we bought the car, we got it painted, and Dan's birthday came. We used to celebrate family birthdays with another family uh, who were good friends. And so we're over at their house. We had, you know, the cake and ice cream. That's our stuff. And then we're sitting around the living room, and Dan is opening his birthday presents. And, you know, 17-year-old, you start with the big boxes first, where the good stuff is. Oh, sweatshirt. Nice. Thanks. Oh, socks. Well, thanks. I really needed these, I guess. So he's opening these boxes, acting happy. He gets down to this last little box, and so he opens the box, and he pulls out a set of car keys. I, w I wish I had the words to describe to you the look on Dan's face. He wanted so much to believe what maybe this meant, but he didn't want to get his hopes up, so he just looks at me, holding up these car keys. So I said, uh, Let's go on out to the garage. So we went to the garage, opened the garage door. There it was, this newly painted Camaro Z28. And Dan didn't say anything. He just went over and opened the door, got in the car, sat down, and said one word. Yes! <laughs> so when he had his senior pictures taken, of course, he wanted to have them taken with... That is a fine-looking car, isn't it, with his Camaro Z28? What does Jesus say? See, I, I am a sinful, self-centered, egotistical, lazy father. Jesus says, if you then, who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I, I don't have to try to manipulate God, try to talk him into doing something he doesn't really want to do, try to influence him in some way. Jesus is saying, that's not what God is like. God delights in giving good things to his children. How do I know that? Because I'm a sinful person, and I love to give good things to the people that I love. How much more does God delight in doing that for us? Principle number four, worry is useless and harmful. So in the 20, 27th verse, Jesus says this, you know, so can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know, there, there's some sense in which worry can kind of be helpful, right? Sometimes worrying motivates us. We realize something needs to be done. We need to get off our duff and go do something and make things happen. We're not saying that's not true. But worry isn't helpful, is it? In fact, worry can lead us to sinful behaviors. So if I am one of this 37% worried about finances, if I'm anxious about that, it can lead me into wrong behaviors, to, to theft, to greed, to dishonesty. 
If I'm anxious about a relationship, it can lead me to, to jealousy or dominating. Jesus says, worry isn't going to help you. In fact, it can be harmful. And so we've got to be really careful about that. Worry can be destructive to our lives. And so one of the things that, that I need to struggle against in my life is being a worrier. Number five, those who don't have a heavenly father worry about these things. Verses 31 and 32 says, so do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. This is, this is really powerful to me. What is one of the ways that your life ought to be different than the life of a pagan. It ought to be that you know that you have a heavenly father who loves you, who cares about you, who delights in giving good things to you. Reminds me of, of a little kid, two years old, two-year-old. Does that little two-year-old worry about whether or not he's going to have food to eat tomorrow? Or if he's going to have clothing to wear? Of course, of course she doesn't. Why? Because she knows that she has a loving father and mother who are committed to her well-being and her care. Why should I live my life like the people who don't know that they have a heavenly father who loves and cares for them? Jesus says that's how the Gentiles live. That's how the people live who don't know, who don't have a relationship with a loving heavenly father who cares about them and is committed to their, their well-being. There's really nothing else in life that we can depend upon, is there? I remember uh, there was a time when I sort of fooled myself. I thought I didn't worry about money. If someone had asked me, you know, are you anxious about the future, about money, uh, finances? I would have said, well, no, no, that doesn't worry me. And I would have probably thought, well, the reason is because I'm trusting God. But that wasn't the reality at all. See, my wife is an only child. Her mother had died when she was fairly young. And so she was kind of raised by this aunt and uncle. And her aunt and uncle were not totally rich people, but they were well off and they had no children. And so I knew that Sally was going to inherit all of their money when they died. So when, uh, when the church kicked us out of the parsonage and we, we had to build our own home, Sally's aunt came to Cedar Falls to live with us. Her husband had died at that point. And so she lived with us for 10 years. And then her health got bad enough that she needed to go into a nursing home so she could get uh, more care. And she lived at the nursing home for 10 years. And during all that time, I was just so confident I didn't need to worry about money because Sally's aunt was going to provide for us. But then after 10 years, every year became more expensive as she needed more care. And year by year, she used up all of her money so that by the time she died, we were at the point where we were probably going to have to visit with the people at the nursing home to figure out how we were going to pay for her continued care. See, I was trusting in Sally's money. That's why I didn't worry. 
But Jesus says, you know, there's really nothing else in life that you can depend upon other than God. His promises are true. Your relationship with him is, is solid. And so you don't need to live your life like a person who doesn't have a relationship with God. Because you do, and he's committed to your well-being. And so finally, point number six, we need to get our, our priorities in order. Verse 33, well-known verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I need to get my priorities straight. There are things I need to do. There are things that I need to be concerned about. I need to provide for my family. I need to be responsible in the way that I live. But ultimately, the thing that I really need to be concerned about is my relationship with God. And when I put that first in my life, Jesus says, the other things fall into place. When my real concern is that I live a life that is honoring to God and faithful to his word, and that's my priority, then I can trust God to take care of the other things. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you are a bit of a worrier at times. But all of us, I think, can grow in our trust in a loving God who is committed to our well-being. What an amazing God. Let's pray together. Lord God, there's so much I believe about you. I believe that you're the God of the universe of the trillions of galaxies, a God who is so big. And yet, I still believe that you are the God who cares about us, about us. How do I know that? Because you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that you could deal with the biggest, the biggest cause of worry and fear in our lives, which is you know, separation from you, so that our sins can be forgiven, so we can have eternal life with you. Thank you for being that kind of a gracious, loving father to us. Amen.